and welcome to What in Tar Nation, a Tar Heel Hot Take podcast. On this episode, we're recapping the Duke game and looking forward to Wake Forest. I'm Tanya Anderson, and with me, as always, are Brandon Anderson and Julius Emanuel. Here we are. It's come to this. Yeah. Um, I don't... We we talked about it before we started recording. Um, this is just a really hard situation to talk about, <laughs> mostly because it's just like what 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 can be said that hasn't already been said at this point. Pretty much nothing, and I think that's the frustrating thing. Um, you know, I was thinking about this. Saturday night, but uh, the three of us got together to watch this game, and I feel like normally in a loss, um, there would be a lot more hand-wringing, even just from, like, me, um, if, if not you guys. But in this situation, it was kind of just like, well, that happened. Yeah. Not terribly shocked. Not terribly shocked, but also not terribly devastated. Like, I don't, I mean, I don't know how much of it has anything to do with the fact that um, we're clearly not surprised, but, um, you know, how, how else much it had to do with what happened last season kind of thing. Because like I said, like coming into this game, Duke is still our rival, our rival, if you will. Um, this is a game that you wanted to win. However, unlike, you know, so like I remember the uh, first game last season, I was kind of devastated for, for days, you know, kind of like I didn't want to open Twitter. I didn't want to talk about it. I didn't want to kind of do anything. And this year it's like, oh, okay. You know, just like you said, we did, the, we did a thing again. Uh, we lost the game and, here we are. It doesn't help that this game, by the time it ended, you look back at the box score and you're just like, this wasn't even a normal Carolina Duke game. A normal Carolina Duke game is usually pretty high scoring. People are going off on like wild scoring tangents. It's, you know, and I mean, like, don't get me wrong. Like both teams were fighting out there, but they weren't fighting well. It was like, I don't know, even calling it like a rock fight doesn't seem very accurate. It's more like a play slap fight. And you both kind of just feel dumb when it's over, but somebody had to come out on top. What about a brick fight? <laughs> Yeah. It's definitely a brick fight. <laughs> there was plenty of bricks to go around with both teams shooting sub 40% from the field. Yeah. I, I, mean, I don't know. I'm looking at it right now, and uh, Carolina shooting sub 30%. Is that the second half, I assume? Um, not, not a recipe for winning. Not going not gonna to work for you. One of the major takeaways that I, you know, that I have from this game is in the form of validation is the fact that we shot that poorly. We still lost, but Duke didn't blow us out. No, 
I don't, but doesn't that make it worse in a lot of ways? Because I feel like for me, it makes it worse. I mean, any other season, maybe, probably, but this season is kind of the theme that we've had, you know, lately. So it's yeah. like, yeah, it's. I mean, it's not. It's not great, but I'm just saying that you know, you kind of validated in the fact that we, or I, at least I said last uh, week that Duke is not a great team, and they're not. But um, they did not, and the bar was it, so low. It's, it's, we we played to that bar though, uh, and we have so frequently. <laughs> I don't know why we see the bar and we're like, oh, here, hold my beer. But <laughs> yeah, it's just like constantly playing limbo. It's like no matter how how low can you go, and they're like lower than you think. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I'm just. I don't know. Obviously, you don't want to lose a Duke, and you definitely don't want to lose to this Duke team because this is probably the worst Duke team that I've seen in a long time. Um, as far as cohesiveness, um, not obviously not talent, but um, yeah, no, no one is surprised here that we're sitting here. In hindsight, no one is surprised here that we're sitting here talking about another Carolina loss as opposed to a win, even though they should have won, right? I think there's a couple things that happened after the game that I, just made me want to start laughing like the Joker. I'm pretty sure I did at one point. Um, they were talking to Jeremy Roach after the game, and he basically said that I think it was maybe the final stretch. They were basically taking advantage of the fact that UNC wasn't talking on defense. He was like... We knew that they weren't talking, so we did this, this, this. It is so bad that any team can, like, get in front of a camera (laughs) and snitch y'all's bad play out to just be like, they weren't communicating, so we felt like we could just roll all over them. The other thing was I was listening to Hubert Davis talk today, and he was – in less words than he actually said, he basically was saying that they have a specific structure when they're running offensive plays and they weren't doing it. Like, they just haven't been. And, like, that's not surprising. But it's just, like, hearing these things, they just don't inspire a lot of confidence going down the toughest stretch of their season so far. It's February 6th. Right. <laughs> like... These are things you have conversations about in November, like, why aren't you talking on defense? Why are you abandoning set plays and going into freelance almost immediately? Why are you taking it upon yourself to jack up really bad shots? It's just all the stuff we've been talking about, and now that it's like ultra-validated, it's like it doesn't make you feel better. I think the thing that frustrated me the most in this game, well, one of the things, um, you know, Carolina's made getting to the free throw line sort of their bread and butter this season, particularly, and they only shot three free throws in this game. And obviously, you know, we can talk about fouls that were missed and and all of that uh, there are several um there's no argument there but i think a few things are true 
one, um, it's really hard to have your identity be something that's not in your control. Um, if you depend so much on free throws to win games and those calls aren't being made, uh, you're not going to win. And you should have a game plan that is more, you know, up to you. And the other thing is when you take really ill-advised shots, they're not going to be rewarded with fouls all the time, nor should they be. You should not take bad shots with the hope that you end up getting to shoot free throws for it. And I feel like we've seen that a decent amount. Um, There's been a lot of sort of complaining and um, like frustration. And when that sets in, I feel like the wheels really come off and it's just, it's like a little bit too easy to get them in sort of like this downhill trajectory. And I mean, yeah, that was on display in a big way. Yeah. And we also mentioned while we were watching the game, it's like, obviously I believe that these officiating crews are, you know, with their pregame, pregame uh, debriefs or whatever, they're acknowledging or at least being made aware that Carolina outside of Baycott are playing for the foul, not through the foul. Yeah. So, and they're not going to be, and they're not being rewarded for that. Like how many times did Caleb go up for a shot at the basket? And you're like, Oh, that's actually going to go in, but they didn't call a foul. There weren't many. Like he, initiated the contact and just threw the ball up and you're like, you know, what's going on here? That infuriates me in ways that I don't even know how to explain. Just like it's, we've seen other teams do it too, but I feel like with Carolina specifically, they are very much like the ref is going to bail me out of this situation. So let me just toss the ball into the rafters. Like you cannot do that. And as we speak right now, um, Duke is down by 24 to Miami. And the little bit that we were watching before we started recording, we saw Isaiah Wong get the steal, and he was going down the court, and he goes up so strong with his layup, letting Derek Lively knock him down, like, forcibly. And I'm just like, why can't our guys do that? Like, seriously. Because they're not playing aggressively in the good way. Right. They're playing out of control and just, like, tossing up prayers and hoping that the result is favorable. And that's just not winning basketball. Like, it's not even like a, you can't do that against good teams. I don't even think this Duke team is a very good team. You can't do that against mediocre teams and hope to win. You might be able to do it against State just because they basically have a reputation right now where they are. (laughs) But even then you have to make shots. and Yeah. They're not making shots. No. Um, and, you know, I think we, we've we all kind of said we're a little more apathetic about this game than most Carolina Duke games for a number of reasons. Um, and some of that is 
probably having very measured expectations heading in, but um, let's attempt to pick the scab slightly. And I would like you guys to tell me what part of it in particular made you the most angry. Not giving Baycott enough touches. That is a very valid one. He only had two points in the second half, which is inexcusable. I I just, the whole offense runs through, it's supposed to run through him. It doesn't because they're not doing it, but it's supposed to run through him. He's at least supposed to touch it. If he has to kick it back out, fine. But like, you cannot initiate any set that doesn't involve him touching the ball in or near the paint. It's like insanity that they don't understand that. I think Brian Barber tweeted this on Saturday, but he was basically saying that teams kind of know that if you keep Baycott from being able to easily get to the ball, that Carolina will just abandon even trying. They'll be like, oh, it's too difficult. We're just never going to Baycott again. And when other teams know that about you, they're going to do it. And Carolina can't win if he's not playing a major role in the offense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, kind of along the same lines, mine is that the failure to seize opportunity um, whether that comes from you know scoring drops on Duke's behalf, and th- and this is not just a Duke uh, Duke game thing. This has been uh, a running theme for us over the season, and even last season, if you want to go that that far back. But I just for the players that we have on this team to have another team that you're playing against, whether it's the number one team or the number two hundred fifty third team, for you to not score. While they're in a drought, it's just ridiculous in my point. Whether that's running a set through Armando, whether that's you know driving aggressively to actually score in the paint and maybe getting a foul in an and one, that that just drives me insane. Knowing what they should be doing or how they should be performing. Yeah. So it's my game, my rules. I have two. <laughs> sorry Um, my first one is spotting Duke was it 16 17 points in transition in the first half to zero for Carolina you can roll the tape back on these podcasts of how often we've said that bad shots lead to runouts on the other end and thus easy shots for your opponent but those words will probably be written on my headstone when I die. And man, that's like, they basically lost the game there. Yeah. Um, so that that's one. And two, and it's, I don't enjoy pointing fingers. Point them. Pete Nance has been a bit of a liability and him going one for 10 was a problem. Um, I don't like, I think we've all kind of wanted to be patient with him. Um, 
I said before, like I was a little quick to judge Brady Manic last year, and by the end of the season, he had certainly made me eat my words. Um, I wanted to afford Pete that same, uh, the grace that I didn't necessarily give Manic at the beginning. Um, but I think a lot of the issue is I think we are trying to fit a square peg into a round hole there. And I don't think like, I mean, more often he has good games. No one's going to argue that they, they pop up here and there it's not consistent and looking with an eye toward the future, I can't help but think a good chunk of his minutes wouldn't be better served going to someone who's going to be on this team next year. Oh, we clearly need Puff inserted in the starting lineup over him. I'm sorry. Yeah, I agree with you. Assuming Puff is healthy, we need him in there. And that's been an issue, but I mean, even if you want to say like, Puff hasn't been healthy. I can't say that I wouldn't rather see Jalen Washington. I wouldn't rather see Tyler Nickel. Um, I wouldn't rather see Dontre Styles. Like, I just think that if we want to be, I mean, even beyond this season, like I said, um, I just think we need a little more consistency out of that spot. We already have Leaky, um, who is, I mean, in this game, he had his first career double-double, which was great, um, but we sort of trade Leaky's lack of offense for how good his defense is, and we make that trade. Nance isn't Leaky (laughs) on defense, and so we can't also afford the lack of offense because it's not being made up for elsewhere. Well, and to be fair, I did think at least initially Nance was okay on defense. Um, I mean, he did force, it was like two, what two, there was at least a very badly missed Filipowski shot um, there in the first half kind of thing. But, but yeah, no, we need, if you're not giving us one, you have to give us the other. Like you can't, like you can't not give us both. And at least at this point, we definitely need the offensive production from him or his spot, which we're not getting consistently. And unfortunately, that's just the way that it is. And yeah, a lot of people would say, oh, well, you know, it's not Nance's fault. I'll agree with that. However, we know the mechanics of this team. We know what we needed to replace and manic, you know, leaving um, for us to, to get back to where we are. And we just we're not there. What I don't really understand about Nance is like sometimes I have to remember that Northwestern was in the Big Ten. And the more I think about that fact, I'm just like, how did you do what you did? And I mean, I'm not saying he was an all-star or anything, but I'm just saying like, how did you do what you did over there? And then you come into the ACC and this is what we get and to your point tanya like he's had some good games that's hard to ignore it should not be ignored but it's just like 
I don't feel like we have played any team in the ACC that should be so intimidating, scary, that you go one of ten from the field. Like, I don't really understand. I don't know if it's a scheme thing, if he's, like, if Hubert's not setting up the right plays for him or if he's not getting the ball in the right spots. Um, I have a theory that I don't think he's 100% healthy after whatever went on with his back in that stretch where he missed a couple games. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, if if you're not healthy to a point that you can contribute starter minutes and starter production, then that's on you and the coaching staff to not hurt the team. And it's hurting the team. Yeah. Yeah, and to answer your first question, I believe is the ACC is a better basketball conference than the Big Ten is. It's supposed to be. Um. (laughs) I really believe that it is. You know, and I guess that probably adds a little bit to the frustration that Carolina has not been able to stand out, you know, being that they were the preseason number one team. Um, they, they, the ACC is beating each other up. It's, it's kind of like they're taking a play a, a page out of the SEC football playbook. Um, they're literally beating each other up. You just need someone to be minimum better than average to, to just you know, hover above everybody else and be like, oh, hey, look, you know, looking down at you, and we can't even do that. Right. The preseason number one ranking feels like a different lifetime at this point. I think that's the other hard part about this season. I think we all have tried to get away from that preseason ranking because it just wasn't correct. But I think <laughs> didn't know it was that incorrect. <laughs> right, exactly. Like one would think that you're at least top twenty-five good, and we can't even do that. If you return four starters from a team that went to the national championship, why are you not at at least top twenty-five good? Right, especially in this ACC. Like, yeah. if you're struggling in this ACC, we've got major problems going forward, Not and not just this season. And I, I say that, like, legitimately. Like, why are you not? Yeah. And, you know, I think we can – we could sit here for the next three hours and point fingers at various people and things and all of that, but – I think the thing that haunts me in the middle of the night when I think about this stuff, which I do not let this do that to me this year because it is (laughs) not productive. But in a world where I do that, the thing that I think is inescapable to me is the question about um, like development and players consistently improving year over year and the fact that we did return four starters from a team that was 
you know, it, it took a painfully, I'm pretty sure, historic collapse in the national championship game to to not win it. Um, why, why did so many take a step back even? Two steps back even. Well... I feel like nobody really has a great answer for that. Well, I need to know. <laughs> I, I do too. Demand answers. I would love to get some answers. And like, I don't know. I, I College basketball has been very weird this season. And I am not. And I want to repeat this. I am not going to excuse UNC for the lack of development. I am not going to give them a pass just because of things that I'm seeing across the country on other teams. But I will say that we have seen a lot of bizarre stuff when it comes to like, you have this level of talent on your team. What are you doing? Um, I think with UNC specifically, it just seems like they don't want to play together. I'm not saying they don't like each other. I'm not saying that somebody insulted another one's family member. I'm not. You can't do this to me. Oh, we're getting into rumor territory here. I'm I'm not, but I see her face and I'm trying to hold it together. My point is, is that you... Even given what happened the year before, you still have to make it a point to play as a team and to have cohesiveness. Like it doesn't just carry over to the next season. And I don't know why, but this team hasn't acknowledged that they haven't tried hard enough to make that happen. And so we have this. So, so I'll say at least to this point, and I'm realizing that we could record this, put this out and then, you know, things, change next you know this week or next week but i'll say that at least right now it just appears that unfortunately last season was a fluke Mm, mm. especially the run especially the run that we had for whatever reason that was you know and and for most of us especially me i just i just assumed that once you taste success playing the word playing the way that you were in addition to the collapse in the national championship game and losing it would give you unprecedented motivation to play together get back you know try to get back to the national championship game again and you know kind of like the 2017 team we haven't seen that and yeah so that just kind of validates for me that um this was Last season was a fluke, and this is more what we should have expected kind of thing. That is a, maybe one of the spicier takes we've had on this show. I don't feel like it's even that spicy. It, uh, it's like a... I'm just being honest. mild. Uh, <laughs> but, but the thing... I mean, I, I agree. Wrong. No, I, I definitely agree. It's like... That team was not supposed to get to the national championship. I don't know how they did it. 
I don't know that they know how they did it. But they have the talent to have done it. Like, if you Mm -hmm. look at the parts that make up the whole, Mm -hmm. it's not crazy that they got there. But so many of those pieces are still here, but they're wearing a worse hat. It's like the mom lifting a car to save their child (laughs) energy. It just, like, kicked in out of nowhere and... It's just like, I, I love cars now. It's like, okay. But how many times this season have we said, you know, this team just doesn't seem to have, like, a killer instinct. Like, there's no one who is just like, I don't remember what game it was last year. Maybe it was the Duke game. Maybe it was right before the Duke game. But last year, they lost a game, and it sounded like, you know, in the locker room, people were like, this is not acceptable. The way we're playing is not acceptable. Wake Forest. Wake Forest. Um, And from then on, they played much better, and that seemed to be like the spark that did it. Um, I don't know why you require that again, mm-hmm. because it should have been motivation enough to get to the national championship and fall short and want to do what the 2017 team did, where it's like your only mission is to avenge that loss. Um, but we're also running out of time for miracles. So that is my one caveat. And having said what I said, right, we are for better, for better or for worse. And I, I realize some people would say, oh, well, it's not exactly a life for like comparison. But from a Carolina basketball perspective, we are very similar to a spot that we found ourselves in last season after losing to Duke. Maybe a little better in some terms, maybe not, because we weren't blown out, but we're still sort of one kind of thing, right? So at least for us and other talking heads, we'll be able to determine, I'd say, tomorrow night. And if not tomorrow night, definitely Saturday, what direction they're going to choose to go in. And if they're going to try to emulate last year, okay. And if they're not, we're going to know by this weekend. Yeah. And I mean, to to the point about tomorrow's game, I mean, they just they cannot lose it like they have no choice but to win that game. Otherwise, we're looking at NIT territory. But morale feels so low. It's so low. How many times have we said that, though? How many how many games have we gone into? We have been doing a podcast for and we'd say they can't lose this game. And they did. Yeah. But it's true. I feel like where we're getting into now is like if you lose against Wake, I don't you don't beat Miami. I don't know where it comes from that you would be beat Miami, but like my thought is like you are probably not being Miami and you're probably not beating Virginia. Um Wake Forest okay. is down fairly tremendously. Oh no. They lost four straight games before beating Notre Dame. 
Um, They lost to Virginia, Pitt, State, Duke, and then beat Notre Dame. So there's a question for you. Say we lose tomorrow night, and then we no. Let me let me let me rephrase this. Do you not think it's possible that we could split this week? Say we lose tomorrow, and then win Saturday. I I feel like that that could happen. Um, Clemson is not. Uh, not a pushover, although they have lost their last two, um, including a loss to Boston College, for what that's worth. Mm-hmm. I feel like at this point we're just setting, setting up to be Clemson's get-right game. but <laughs> Right. But, yeah, the, that, was, that was my only, my only point. But given... Given everything else, given our you know disappointment in losing to Duke and kind of like where we are at in the season, this week I believe is our make or break week. Like if you don't, so if, I, if you, in my opinion, if you don't win both games, you're at best going to be a bubble team. Yeah, for sure. Um, and so that's it, with two. I mean Miami and State next week. So, um. so, and that's why I say at best. Um, so you win these two games, win these two games. Okay, you 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 um, won yourself another week <laughs> of consternation or what have you. But drop one of them, and yeah, let's uh, we'll, we'll start expecting the NIT. Now I do realize that next week doesn't necessarily dictate like what they're going to do. But at some point for us, like we've got to pick a side, you know? So, and, and again, this is, unfortunately I didn't want to be here, but losing the first Duke game, I was like, okay, cool. So if you want um, the closest you're going to get to an apples to apples comparison or some magic, um, eight ball is going to tell you what Carolina's going to do. This is the week. If we lose both of these games, then yeah, let's prepare to host an NIT game. And I mean, looking at the schedule, I mean, if you want to look at it pessimistically, there's one gimme game left on it, and even that is on the road at Notre Dame. Um, <laughs> So gimme is kind of doing a lot in a lot of heavy lifting in that sentence, but a lot of the, heavy lifting. It's the only game that you look at on the schedule and are like they should be able to win that game. A lot That's not, is, that's not Mike Mike Bray's last home game, is it? Um it is not. It has it is his next to last home game. Thank God. Um, but yeah, that that's the only game left on the schedule that um, is sort of uh, one that you feel like they should be able to win. Um, on the road at Florida State worries me, um, even though Florida State is not a great team. And the rest are at Wake Forest, uh, against Miami at home, at PNC against State, uh, which is a ranked state 
team now, uh, and they're going to absolutely be out for blood at home against Virginia, which is like kryptonite. <laughs> um, and then the the second Duke game. So I absolutely agree that this week is going to tell us a lot. I think it will do a, a good job of setting expectations for the rest of the schedule because if this goes badly, I don't see any way that goes well. Uh, it's, it's a really tough stretch. Um, but we will see what happens tomorrow night in Winston-Salem. I can't wait. I don't know that I share that same <laughs> optimism. <laughs> level of sarcasm that I'm hitting these days. Yeah, I mean, wait, <laughs> beat Clemson at home when Clemson was still ranked 19th. Um, they only lost to Duke at Duke by two. So. They only lost to state by two. So even in even in their losses, they've played really close games against um, against teams that uh, Carolina either struggled with or uh, needed a lot of divine intervention on. Yeah, we know how that usually goes. Usually goes for us. I don't know. Well, hope for the best, and hope and hopefully we're recording this um, next Monday night after going two and zero, and we're like, "What are we doing? Like, we have no idea, but we won, kind of thing." But we shall see. I need it to be known to everybody listening to this podcast that our puppy was so upset about us talking about the Duke game that she decided to vocalize her own spicy takes. About said Duke game. Yeah, she too is uh, really down on the offensive production. <laughs> Completely warranted, Molly. I agree with your take. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, we will be back next week, presumably, um, unless it sends us all to an early grave. Um, but in the meantime, would you like to tell the people where they can find you? You can find me laying down in the middle of the... I mean, you can find me at THB Brandon, not laying down in the middle of the street. I mean, we might both have to be there, especially depending on what happens after this week. But you can find me at uh, UNC underscore Tar Heel fan. And I am at underscore... No, I'm not. Um, I am... (laughs) And I am at Tanya underscore underscore Anderson. Till next time, go heels. Go heels. Go heels and don't kill us.